Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 283 of x Lapsed, and, uh, well, today's a biggie. So if uh, you only listen to one episode of this program this month, uh, this probably ought to be the one. Uh, we do have a lot to talk about, so let's hop right into Inferno, volume 2, number 2. Had a December 2021 cover date, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Stefano Caselli. Colors, David Curiel. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Amaro, Biso, White, Sabolski. Cover price, $6. Yeesh. This one went on sale October the 27th of 2021. Now we open with, uh, well, what else? A mostly blank quote page. In it, Omega Sentinel says, See what I really am. Intriguing? Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. Or maybe we won't. A double-page spread of roll call and cred, our characters include Professor X, Magneto, Mora X, Mystique, and Destiny. Now, our actual story content kicks off way back in the then, and uh, we're back at the Oracle, which is Mystique's underground home on Krakoa. And if you listen to my discussion on the first issue of Inferno, back in episode 266, we did talk a fair amount about the nebulousness of one of the main scenes in that chapter— now, the scene in question is where Professor X and Magneto were setting toward erasing destiny from Cerebro once and for all. Now, as we watched this scene play out, we did talk a little bit about how this might not actually be Charles or Eric. And with this opening scene, it is confirmed that we were onto something with that deduction. Here, we see Mystique head to Island M in the guise of Magneto in order to collect the Cerebro helmet from the cradle. From here, we see her in the guise of a helmeted Professor X chatting up Mr. Sinister to grab some Destiny DNA. Now, Sinister pretty clearly knows that it's her, and he makes some cute comments about how, uh, even though they're not officially running the show on Krakoa, they sort of kind of are. Then, Mystique as Charles has a private hatching session with the Five. Hope tells the crew that they gotta be on their toes for this resurrection, since the Professor is there to observe. Though, isn't he usually? Or at least, like, a lot of the time? Oh, well, I mean, we're not going to pick that nit. Anyway, bada-bing, bada-boom, the gold ball cracks open, and from it crawls a young woman. Mystique as Charles then hands the Cerebro helmet over to Hope and asks that she perform the download. Now, she says she's never done this before, though uh, it's not entirely true. (laughs) She did bring back Scout over in New Mutants, also uh, Wanda or the young Wanda over in uh, Trial of Magneto. Though in fairness, uh, I don't think she's about to admit that, since the five kind of went into business for themselves there. Though Professor X is sort of kind of the most powerful psychic on Earth, so you'd figure it probably wouldn't be the smartest decision to lie to him. You never know, though. Maybe this scene, having taken place back in the then, places it before she brought Gabby or Wanda back? Am I thinking too hard about this? Does it even matter? Is Hickman even aware of any of it? I don't know. Anyway, Hope does the thing, and it's a success. With the job well done under their belts, the five leave. Mystique reverts to her normal blue-skinned self and kneels down beside her newly returned wife. Worth noting, Raven brought Eileen back at the age she was when they first met, so she looks to be eh, somewhere in her late teens to early twenties. But then... Everything that's happened like in the interim, and likely what's yet to come, rushes and roars into Destiny's mind, and it's uh, just about too much for her to handle. She collapses. 
From here, we get a montage of scenes covering a month's worth of time, during which Mystique nurses Destiny back to mental clarity, back to uh, mental health. Now, Mystique fills Destiny in on some of what she's missed, clarifying some of the finer points of her villainy. Now, Mystique, of course, has had a lot of ups and downs and moral nebulousness since Irene passed. Then, we jump ahead to the now, and we're back in the quiet council chambers, and we're preparing for the vote to see whether or not Destiny will be the 11th chair. Xavier is not happy about any of this, but is kind of cocky about how this is going to play out. He informs Mystique that they had initially assembled, in fact, to hold a vote. But it wasn't a vote to add a member, it was a vote to uh, vote a member out, and that member was going to be Mystique. Now, Destiny says she'll gladly offer Chuck a spoiler on how that would play out if he would like. Anyway, let's vote to see if Irene gets the seat. Xavier goes first, and he votes no, so it's 0 to 1. Magneto also votes no, 0 to 2. Storm votes no as well, 0 to 3. Nightcrawler pauses before throwing his mother a pity vote, which most definitely won't come back to bite anyone, huh? So now the vote is 1 to 3. Now, it's worth noting, back in Way of X, Legion had made some comments about how odd it is that uh, Krakoa was free of precog, so I wonder if Kurt might be taking any of that to heart. I also wonder if Hickman's aware of any of that. Anyway, Exodus is up next, which takes us back into flashback land. During this scene, Mystique attempts to sell him on voting yes on Destiny. She compares Destiny's precognitive powers to those of a prophet, which is pretty much all it takes to sway old Paris, and so he votes yes. So two for, three against. Then Mr. Sinister and another flashback. Mystique basically tells him that, hey, you know what, if you vote yes, it's going to annoy all the right people. And that's all she has to say, so Sinister votes yes. So we're to tie, three for and three against. Mystique then votes, and duh, she votes yes, so four for and three against. Call Me Kate is a quick no, so we're even again at 4-4 and 4 against. Next up, Sebastian Shaw, and it's back into flashback land. And we see him fencing with, I don't know, maybe forearm? Whoever it is, he's got, you know, four arms. Uh, He doesn't seem to have a dog in this destiny fight. Mystique is able to sway him by suggesting that a yes vote would most definitely tick off Emma Frost. And so, well, that's all he has to hear. He is down for it. So, he votes yes. So we got five, four, and four against. Speaking of Emma, the vote comes down to her. You see, if she votes yes, Destiny's in. If she votes no, however, it'll be a tie. And ties go to the house, so the motion will not carry. But, before she votes, hey, hey, let's go to flashback land. Now, in this flashback, Mystique approaches Emma about cutting a deal. You see, she's got something that Emma wants. We're not exactly sure what it is, but she did reference it at some point during the Hellfire Gala, as, as, you know, as if she wanted this. Anyway, from here we get a flashback within a flashback, which reveals that Mystique stole this thing, it's a box, uh, from a temple. And this box is apparently something Emma has long coveted. Raven offers to hand it over if Emma agrees to play ball. And so, Emma votes yes. Destiny is added to the Quiet Council with a vote of 6-4 and 4 against. Destiny comments about how nice it is to be wanted, and then offers Charles the opportunity to hold that vote to see if Mystique will get the boot. And uh, she still has that spoiler alert, by the way. Xavier declines and calls the meeting to a close. 
And now, just as things are getting really, really good, we gotta shift over to check in on the Orcus Forge. Um, here we see Killian Devo, Nimrod, and Omega Sentinel, along with some red-suited, like, beekeeper types. Now, they make a little bit of progress toward whatever it is they're doing. Now, the beekeepers apologize for falling short, but Devo tells them not to, because any progress is better than none. Wow, you know, I, I think I'd rather work for this guy than Xavier. He seems uh, like, a, like a decent fellow. Anyway, this exercise, whatever it is, ends, leaving us with Nimrod and Karima What's-Her-Face. Karima tells Nimrod that he's evolved to a point wherein they can have a certain conversation, and this is where she drops the quote from the opening page, and it's also where we cut away. So we'll probably be coming back to this maybe next time. I don't know. We jump from here to the No Place, where Mora is having an absolute fit over Destiny's resurrection. Now, Xavier tells her that not only is Destiny back, she now is a power player on the Quiet Council. To which Mora's all, how the hell that happened? And you know, we did talk about this last time, but... You know, if Destiny's a no-no from the get-go, why didn't they just trash her DNA, like, all the way at the beginning? It seems wildly stupid not to have done that, right? Anyway, Mora says it'll only be a matter of time before Destiny's able to sniff her out, and suggests that they're going to have to... solve for X. She then pauses, awaiting raucous applause, which never come. Can we at least get a rim shot? No? All right. Hell, I mean, this is Hickman. Maybe she was wanting to solve for ten. Who knows? Uh, Mora then turns to Magneto and suggests that, you know what? It'd be super cool if he, you know, just so happened to, uh, I don't know, kill Destiny? He says no. Now, this surprises and frustrates Mora. Magneto says that uh, maybe they should just try and fill that last empty seat on the council with someone they know they can trust. Speaking of trust, Xavier offers up the idea of letting Emma Frost in on their little Mora's not dead and oh by the way she's also a thousand year old mutant thing. Mora ain't so sure that that's the best idea, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. But first, info page, and it's a transcription of some dialogue between Destiny and Mystique, which seems to have been collected by Krakoa itself. Here they talk about why Mystique was added to the council in the first place, and why Destiny was left as being that carrot on a stick. Now, Mystique is pretty quick to deduce that Xavier and Magneto feared that Destiny would see something they didn't want her to, so, uh, wow, got it in one. Next up, info page, and it's from Sage's X-Force mission log, and here's where things get really odd. Uh, things are going to get a little bit confusing, and we will get into that as we go. Now, this has to do with the Paris Safe House Gateway Passage we saw last issue, I think. <laughs> now, Xavier enters a manual override and redaction of this report. Now, we might assume that this is like a regular thing he does to cover for Mora's travels through the gates. Maybe? I think? I don't know. From here, we jump back to comics, and we join Sage. Now, despite having the threat report overridden by Xavier himself, she decides to give it a goo anyway. That's worth noting here, I haven't noticed this before, but Sage's room, like this hub that she works in, it's full of Krakoa's eyeballs. It's like there are like cracks in the ceiling, it's very, you know, you know, botanical, biological, but there are eyeballs sticking out. And I gotta ask, is, is this new, or has it always been around, just maybe a little bit more subtle, or a lot more subtle than this? I don't know. Now I mentioned it's gonna get confusing, and, and here is where it gets uh, wildly confusing, at least for me, and I might just be dense. I might just be an idiot. Who knows? 
maybe it's supposed to be confusing? I, I really don't know, because, I mean, this whole story has been, like, predicated on Mystique shape-shifting, you know? So, um, let's get into it. Uh, Sage appears in Paris. She's going to look into this thing. She then shapeshifts, or maybe image-induces, into a dude with a beard, who enters the safe house, passes an Orcus scientist, who she picks the pocket of before shapeshifting into that scientist herself. Inside, she's greeted by a bunch of Orcuses, and she claims to have forgotten something and then enters a portal which takes her to the forge, I think... There, she finds out that Orcus is working on opening a portal into the sun. I think. Anyway, after getting the skinny from a super smart ape, Sage as scientist leaves, but then we see Mystique leaving too. I I think. Um, This is really confusing and uh, poorly laid out, in my opinion. Um, So was this Mystique all along? Was it Sage? Were Mystique and Sage there? This could have been done a little bit better, at least in my opinion. From here, we shift scenes over to the Louvre. Now, the patrons of the place are psychically ordered to vacate, leaving only Charles, Eric, and Emma, the latter of whom is finally introduced to... Mora. And Emma is not impressed, and simply says, Hey, I thought you died. She also hasn't the foggiest idea what Xavier thinks Mora, a human, can do to help anybody. And at this point, it's revealed that Mora is a mutant. Emma doesn't buy it right away, and so Mora offers her the opportunity to read her mind, which she does, and over the course of a page is struck by all of Mora's lives and times and falls to the ground. From here, we get a full-page spread of several of Mora's lives. We see her as a teenager meeting Xavier on that park bench. We see her in her lab, perhaps working on that mutant cure. We see her as an assassin, perhaps hunting down Trasks. We see her at Apocalypse's side. We see her making out with Xavier. We see her about to be killed by the Brotherhood. We see her and Apocalypse fighting side by side. And finally, we see her getting burned to death by Pyro. Xavier then goes to help Emma up, but she ain't having none of it. She pushes him away and demands to know how long Charles and Eric have known about all this. Then they admit that it's it's been a while. Now, Mora... Half-ass apologizes if Emma feels like she'd been left out of anything, but says she is the first person they chose to let in on this secret. Xavier makes sure to tell Emma that they're only letting her in because they know they can trust her. Magneto then gets oddly jingoistic and says that uh, her nation needs her. Uh, She is just really, really ticked off that she's been manipulated and says that, uh, you know, she is a mutant, she is a member of the council, so she will think things over. She does make sure to warn Magneto and Xavier that, well, after this, she doesn't have any more loyalty to either of them. So, uh, well, that probably could have gone better, huh? So after Emma leaves, uh, Mora worries that they might have just made a very powerful enemy. She then says that Charles and Eric were right all along. What they need to do is find someone they can trust and add them to the Quiet Council, someone they know they can trust. And so... We jump ahead to later, where another vote is being held, and it's for that twelfth and final seat. And let's go through the votes. Sinister votes no, so zero to one. Exodus votes yes, one to one. Mystique votes no, one to two. Kitty votes yes, two to two. Emma votes yes, three to two. Shaw votes no, probably because Emma voted yes, so three to three. Kurt votes yes, four to three. 
Storm votes yes, 5 to 3. Xavier votes yes, 6 to 3. Magneto votes yes, 7 to 3. Destiny votes even though it doesn't matter. She votes no, 7 to 4. And so the motion passes. And we close out with Xavier welcoming the final member of the New Look Quiet Council. And that member is Colossus. Now, it might be worth noting, by the way, that, it, that Destiny has taken Apocalypse's seat next to uh, Xavier and Magneto. And it looks like Colossus will be getting Jean's vacated seat alongside Storm and Nightcrawler, which makes that quarter of the council very uh, giant size in nature. That's where we leave it. Next episode, it's our first ever 25th issue, which also happens to be the penultimate issue of Marauders. So, we are halfway through Inferno. What are, what are we all thinking? What are we thinking here? We got um, we got a lot to talk about, don't we? A lot of really good stuff here. A lot of really good stuff. Overall, I'm walking away from this one um, mostly pleased. I, I like that we're getting some answers here. I don't know that I have a whole lot of confidence in what's going to happen after this series ends. I, and I don't have too much confidence in how satisfying this story is going to uh, is going to wrap up for us. Um, now, before we get into like the uh, the weeds here, I, I want to make a weird comparison, <laughs> a, uh, a comparison that rang out to me, um, but it may not ring out to anyone else. I, I think about this Hickman run here, and I think about Hickman's contributions to the X Men over the past couple of years, and it reminds me a lot of uh, when Joss Whedon came on. That's not to say that the stories are anything alike. Um, Hickman's is a uh, well more progressive. It's more about um, the future, whereas Whedon's was a weak ass, fake ass, quote unquote, love letter to uh, comics he liked as a kid. And also, you get the feeling that Hickman has had to butt heads with editorial a lot more than Whedon did, because I think all of editorial was probably just in awe of Whedon when he showed up. And Joe Casada probably said, hey, you know, let him do whatever he wants. He could bring anybody back. He can kill anybody he wants. Leave Whedon alone. So my comparison here is that Hickman and Whedon both were, you know, to go into the pet quotes of this channel and this program, they are the straws that stir the drink. So no matter what book they're working on in this family of titles, that will be the flagship and everything else is going to be working around it or in service of it. Now, back in 0405, Whedon didn't give a crap about any of the other X-Books. It was just his story, his break world story, his whatever story. Everything else could keep up if it wanted to, and he would get to his story whenever he felt like slumming it in comics for a minute. Now, Hickman isn't like that at all. This was a far more collaborative era of X-Men comics here with uh, post-Hoxpox Krakoa. So there's a team Everybody's invested. Everybody got some, you know, sweat in the game here. That said, I don't know how much mind is paid to the second and third tier books in this uh, in this family of titles. Now, I've joked about it when we cover a Teeny Howard book, where I'll say something like, "Well, Teeny's never read a book in this line that she or Hickman didn't write because she doesn't reference or acknowledge things that go on in any books but the ones she or Jonathan write." And here, I mean, we have some things that have happened in the past several months of these X-Books, which I don't feel like they're being properly addressed here, where maybe they should. We could jump back to that issue of Marauders, where I thought we had a potentially shoe-drop-size uh, revelation here, where 
Emma wanted to get under Xavier and Magneto's skin by introducing the Mora McTaggart Hospital. Well, here, Emma meets Mora for the first time since everything's gone down, and she didn't really let on that she knew. She didn't really let on anything. She was very unimpressed. Plus, she seemed to be genuinely shocked by the revelation that Mora has all these lives, she's actually a mutant, yada, yada, yada. So either Emma is a wonderful, wonderful actor, or that scene over in Marauders was just a giant, weird, pointless red herring. Like, I mean, she was, like, observing the looks on Xavier and Magneto's faces, but why? Like, I, hmm, I really don't know. Uh, let's talk about another recent event here, Colossus killing over an X-Force. Is that important? Uh, though, I mean, in fairness, when we wrapped up the latest issue of X-Force, Xavier did visit with Peter. So maybe that's in reference to this? Maybe that's a red herring? Uh, I mean, who could say at this point? I haven't read the next issue just yet. Uh, are we really going to be bringing the Chronicler in to Inferno? Because um, we already know that Colossus is compromised, right? By Mikhail and perhaps Peacock Man at Xeno? I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. And, and also, like, while on the subject of Colossus coming in, I gotta ask, why all of a sudden are the members of the Council so fixated on filling those empty seats? Because uh, they have been vacant for... A long time now, since X attends. That's a year publication time. I don't know how long that is in comics time, in Marvel time, but, I mean, it's been a year for us. It's odd that it's, you know, it was a lot of hurry up and wait, right? Another bit of discontinuity is uh, Hope uh, being able to resurrect people, right? We saw her download Scout already. We also saw her bring back young Wanda in the Trial of Magneto. So... Was she lying to Xavier there? Um, is the timeline even more nebulous than we thought, where things are just happening at all different points, where maybe maybe Destiny was the first person she brought back? I, I, does this maybe just not fall into Hickman's plan? I really don't know. It just gives a very discontinuitous, is that a word? <laughs> a, a feeling of discontinuity. And I just feel like that these are the sort of questions... We shouldn't be asking, right? I mean, this should all be a little less nebulous. Uh, speaking of nebulous, <laughs> there was a scene in this book, as I mentioned, that was very, very confusing. Now, I get trying to be subtle when it comes to who's shape-shifting into who or what, but there's definitely something to be said for clarity in storytelling. And uh, as I mentioned, maybe I'm just a little more dense than I thought I was, but that scene in Paris at least to me, was a cluster frig and a half. And I mean, we've seen Mora there, right? We saw her there last issue. At least I think it was her. Maybe it was someone shape-shifting into her. Who knows? Let's say it was her. Let's say it was her for argument's sake. And now we know that there is an Orcus outpost or warp point or whatever we're going to call it there as well. Are we building to a big reveal where we're going to find out that she's been in cahoots with the bad guys all along? Is she still trying to off the mutants? Do Xavier and Magneto know? Because uh, during their discussion in the No Place, Mora warns that Destiny will be able to see through all three of them. So, is there something more to Magneto and Charles? 
Are these compromised versions of Magneto and Charles? Does any of this tie in with the, what I assumed was a flash forward from issue one where Emma hatches Xavier and Magneto from gold balls? Huh. And I really hope that the reveal here isn't that, like, every weird thing we've been seeing during the series is just Mystique shapeshifting. Because, at least to me, that would play as incredibly lazy. Um, what else can we talk about here? The info page, the info page dialogue, the old Ben Percy special, <laughs> where we get basically just pages of script, right? Now, I suppose uh, this. This bit works uh, better than the usual, you know, Ben Percy didn't feel like directing an artist that we get in his books Because it does give the context of it being the island's own logs, right? Though we did see that Krakoa's got eyes everywhere At least I assume that's what the the eyeballs coming out of the walls were So uh, maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to actually see this discussion illustrated then again, I don't know that I would have needed like five or six pages of this, so uh, I guess we'll just let it be. Now let's talk a little bit more about uh, Emma's reaction. You know, Emma's reaction to the big reveal here. I don't know if I'm thinking too hard about this. Uh, I, I often add layers of meta-symbolism to, uh, well, just about anything, right? <laughs> so I, I get lost in the weeds, I get lost in the scenery that is uh, well-established on this program, but... I got this weird impression that Emma was being presented as like a reader stand-in. And, and let me explain. Emma, her her initial feelings here, and the, I guess the, the residual feelings of this scene were that she was betrayed. Okay? And her feelings of betrayal here made me think about how I felt when I first read Hoxpox. And if you've listened to those episodes, you'll know that uh, I wore my concern and worry on my sleeve, and I questioned everything, and I was uh, hyper-focused on the feeling and the worry that everything I knew was going to be taken away, right? I felt like everything I have known about the X-Men since I started reading them 30 years ago was going to be wiped away. And sure, everything that we know happened actually did happen, but now there's this added element of manipulation being behind all of it. You know, nothing was really left to fate. There were strings being pulled the entire time, okay? It's a weird feeling. Now, it's as though we'd been lied to all this time, and it makes Emma's reaction here feel all that more relatable. And I really, really liked it. You know, she's like... She, she has to actually go away and process it, because... This is a lot to take in. It makes you feel like you were a puppet for your entire life. And it's um, it's really cool. And I mean, on that meta level, it's almost as though we were on the hook. You know, being reeled in this whole time. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. The art here was fantastic. Despite the, you know, storytelling problems I did have with it, it was very, very pretty to look at. And now that we're halfway through, I mean, where is this headed? <laughs> is it headed anywhere? I mean, Hickman's leaving, Krakow is staying, so what could possibly happen here to make it feel as though it's a big enough deal to justify all of this? I really don't know. Uh, one of the things we talked about last time was the possibility that Mora is still pursuing a mutant cure, but only to use it on herself. So to, like, wipe her own mutant power out in a, an attempt to perhaps stop the timeline from resetting if she were to perish. 
Could that be where we're headed? To a depowered Mora who is no longer the get-out-of-jail-free card? Or could the last page of Inferno number 4 say, To be continued in the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine? I don't know. I don't know. But I think that's where we'll put a pin in it for now. I think we've, uh... I think I have talked this one to death for, at least for now. Now, we have no mailbag for today, but uh, if I go to the comments at chrisoninfiniteearth.com, I can get you some discount drugs. I, I, I'm really good at that. Uh, hydrochloroquine, I think that's what they're calling it. I, I, I can't say the word, but I've seen it about 75 times over the past uh, three or four days because I keep getting damn comments about it. It's one weird thing about being on WordPress now. So much spam. So much spam. It's uh, insane how much spam I get. But if anybody out there is interested in hydro, whatever the hell, uh, let me know. I'll, I, I can. I know a guy. I know. I know many. Um, let's hop into the shout out department here, thanking the folks who engage with the posts about this program on various social media channels. Let's start on Twitter by thanking Dave Schultz, Transform and Rollout, Chris Bailey, Joe Crawford, Billy D, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, The Deer Watchers Podcast, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Jeremiah, Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, and Billy D. And on Instagram, I want to thank Damien Knows Best, ShinGamer212, Lamar Jr., Joe Crawford, Mark Jagger, and The Positive Fan. Let's hop over to the patrons at patreon.com slash xlapsed. I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealant, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. You are all amazing. Thank you so much for your support. So let's wrap up here. Uh, this was a pretty huge issue to discuss here, and I hope to hear from some folks about their thoughts on this Inferno miniseries up to this point. Uh, has it rocked your socks? Has it been a letdown? What do you think is coming next? Uh, I'd really love to hear from you, and if uh, anybody's interested in reaching out, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. On Instagram, 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that's available anywhere you find podcasts and noise and sound. And finally, it is patreon.com slash for some behind-the-scenes stuff and exclusive content. And whoa, I think I got through that on, like, one and a half breaths, which, uh, that's, that's pretty good. I've only been practicing... 283 times to this point But uh, that's gonna do it for me I'd like to thank you all so much For sharing some of your day with me And until next time, as always I'll talk to you again real soon See ya